0: Hello, and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist podcast. My name is Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist and I have a background in exercise science as well. And mostly, I am really passionate about PCOS because I have it too. And I know how frustrating it is when you just don't quite understand why your body is doing what it's doing. So, that's the whole purpose of the podcast. And what I do is to help you understand your body more so that you can change your lifestyle to suit your body. So today is a rapid fire Q&A mini podcast. First question coming at you is from Simona. What are some insulin resistant signs for lean PCOS? Is it bloating, inflammation, etc.? No, not necessarily. And actually, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that you have to have symptoms if you have insulin resistance. But actually, in many cases, especially early stage well, I think the big thing to probably point out here too is that it you don't have to have clinical insulin resistance for your insulin to still be affecting your P2S right So you can be well under the medical guidelines in terms of your insulin levels um, that are considered uh, you know that would be considered as like pre-diabetical insulin resistant, but still have higher levels of insulin that are then causing your body to overproduce, the male hormones, androgens, which are responsible for most of our symptoms in PCOS, So um, let's just call that optimal insulin. So you can have, your body can producing be producing too much insulin and you wouldn't even know. So you might not have any symptoms and especially if, as you've pointed out, not all women with um, with high levels of insulin gain weight. About 30% of women, with even though they have high levels of insulin, don't gain any weight. Uh, and this is the same with those without PCOS, you can have people that are type 2 diabetic that don't gain any weight. Okay, so it's just, it, this comes back to your genetics and whether your genetics um, predispose you to putting on weight when you have insulin resistance or whether they don't. So th- you might not have any symptoms at all. And bloating isn't really a symptom of insulin resistance. Bloating is quite different, You can, but you can have both. Um, but one you know one symptom could be that you get hungry all the time or hangry attacks or that you get really intense sugar cravings or you might not have those symptoms at all you might say no that's not me and that doesn't mean that you don't have problems with your insulin so the only way to really know is to work with someone who can help you figure this out Okay, I would say that if you're trying to self-diagnose and trying to figure this out on your own, then you're probably in for a really long haul Um, and you really need to work with someone who knows what they're doing here. So don't try and self-diagnose based on your symptoms, work with someone who knows what they're doing and they can help you understand what's going on. Next question we have is from Lou. So Lou asks, despite regular periods, how do I know if I am ovulating regularly? Really good question, Lou, and um, brings up a really good point that you can have what um, like a bleed, but it not be an actual period. So for it to be a real period, you need to have a full menstrual cycle. This means that your estrogen rises and then you ovulate and then your progesterone rises and it's the fall in progesterone that triggers your uterine lining to shed. Okay, so the whole cycle involves all three of those parts estrogen rising you ovulating and then the progesterone rising and falling. For some women and often times they can have what's called intermenstrual bleeding so this means they don't actually ovulate it's the just the rise and fall in estrogen that triggers their body to actually shed some of that uterine lining so they get bleeding but without ovulation. So the only way that you can tell and the best most effective way to tell Uh, is if you are monitoring your cycles. And to do that, you need to be measuring your temperature and you need to be monitoring your cervical fluid. It's really simple once you understand how to do it, it is it doesn't cost anything and it can be an incredibly great tool to use not just for fertility, but to just for your general health. So that you can get an idea about what your body's actually doing and if For example, for me, a couple of months ago, I noticed uh, that my um, cycle, even though it was the same number of days, the second part of my cycle, my luteal phase, um, was much shorter. And when you notice that even one part of your cycle has been a bit disrupted, it can tell us a lot about what's going on in our health For me, it was the fact that my stress levels had got significantly higher and that had delayed my ovulation, meaning that the second half of my cycle was shorter. And the result was, had I been trying to conceive, I wouldn't have been able to conceive in that cycle because that second half was too short. So um, really, really important because for me, I'm not trying to conceive, but the important thing for me is that that shows that my health has been affected. If my periods are affected then that's a really good window into my health and that there are likely other parts of my body that have been affected by that high stress as well. So this is why monitoring your cycle I think is one of the primary things we can do as women not just for PCOS but all women um, to understand our bodies more of course you can't do this if you're on hormonal birth control because you're not getting a cycle if you're on hormonal birth control the the hormones that that you're getting in the pill or the whatever it is that you're using they are taking over so they basically they stop your own production of estrogen and progesterone stop your um, ovulating and provide the synthetic form of estrogen and progesterone so they do the work um so we have a whole program on that, Lou. Um, it's called Educated, E-G-G-D-U-C-A-T-E-D. We'll put that in the show notes for you um, to learn how to do this um, for yourself. It's a really simple seven-day course that you can understand how to monitor your cycles and use that to understand your body more. Um, and yeah, you can start doing this right now. You don't, it doesn't matter when where you are in your cycle, whether you're even getting a period or not, you can start doing this and start to understand your body more. It's just literally getting a thermometer and then the rest you'll learn in there as well. Um, there's also, if you don't want to do our course, there's also other great books you can pick up on this. Um, the Fifth Vital Sign by Lisa Hendrickson Jack is a great book. Also, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Welcher um, is also a fantastic book. So yeah, I I mean, I like Lisa's one. To me, it's Far more readable um and but yeah that's just personal opinion um but otherwise if you want more of an interactive way into the videos and uh and pdfs and stuff and a bit more um, information about different areas especially if you're trying to conceive then educated.com might be the course mini course for you so that answers that question about how to know whether you're ovulating Rosie, you also um, asked the question about that as well. Um, so Rosie, it was really interesting. You pretty much word for word the same question as Lou. But you also asked about prenatals, um, whether are, are prenatals good. And my answer to that would be, yes, prenatals are essential if you're trying to conceive. The level of vitamins and minerals it takes to not only keep your levels optimal, but also grow a whole baby is, and then feed that baby through breastfeeding is, uh, it's almost impossible to get that through nutrition alone and impossible for most of us mere mortals, right? I'm sure if I said it's impossible to get it through food, someone would come back and say, no, you could, but you'd have to eat a truckload of uh, literally a ton of spinach a day, for example, to get the amount of folate. That's not an actual figure, I'm making this up. But I'm sure someone would come back to me and say, you can get it, you just have to eat this much. And it's like, well... You know, is that actually realistic? Is someone actually going to be able to physically get through all of that spinach? Probably not. So I hope that you kind of get the gist of where I'm coming from there, that it is virtually impossible. So while I think that it is still super important to get your nutrients from food, because just the way that you absorb nutrients from food is far better than what we can absorb them from most supplements. You are likely to not be able to get the amount that you need um, alone from food, especially in that um, in that phase. So, the supplements that were vitamins and minerals are known to be super important for growing a baby. Um, One would be your B vitamins, so folate or folic acid, which you might have heard about. other, but also other parts of the B vitamin family. So vitamin B12 and choline are also really important. And that's the formation, essential for the formation of the spinal cord or neural tube um, of the baby. So that's super important. But we also know that your iron requirements are one and a half times higher in pregnancy than what they are normally. And that's because you have to produce a massive amount of red blood cells for the placenta and also for the baby as well vitamin b12 i briefly mentioned before that's another one that's super important for the neural tube and we know that without enough vitamin b12 the risk of uh, not just neural tube defects but also miscarriage and preterm delivery go up as well so those are two nutrients especially that are going to be super important for women with who are vegetarian or vegan to be supplementing as well because B12 was only found in animal products. And so about 62% of women who are vegetarian, uh, pregnant women, are deficient, have been found to be deficient in vitamin B12. Um, So that's really important. The other one we just mentioned before, iron, Um, the most well absorbed sources of iron in the diet are also from animal sources mostly from red meat you can also get iron from leafy greens but it's a different type of iron and it's not as well absorbed in the body Uh, and so this is likely a reason why women who are vegetarian would be um, deficient in iron as well and those these are two nutrients that are super important for energy and feeling like we've got energy right and My goal is always not to, you know, for you just to get pregnant. It's like, how can we help you have the healthiest possible pregnancy so that you're not lying on the kitchen floor bawling your eyes out because you've got a screaming baby and you can't even pick yourself up from the floor to get a fork to eat the pickles out of the jar from, right? Like that would just be dire. And so we want to make sure that you have good levels of nutrients that you can actually function when you've got a newborn. So we want to make sure that you've got optimal levels, not just, you know, the basic requirements. So Rosie, I hope that's helped answer why prenatal vitamins are super important for uh, pregnancy and also for breastfeeding as well. Next one is from Louisa. Uh, What is happening if you have PCOS and are not having periods at all? Basically what this means, Louisa, is that your body is trying to ovulate probably every week or fortnight and it's just not able to ovulate a period is when as I explained in the first question when you ovulate and then you get a rise in progesterone and if you're not pregnant your body will then recognize that and it will, it will lower progesterone and that will then trigger your uterine lining to shed so the whole thing relies on you ovulating um, so what will be happening if you're not getting a period at the moment is that your body will be growing an egg, trying to get it ready for ovulation. It'll then say, right, we're ready to ovulate. And then your body will be like, ah, oh, no, I can't because my hormones are not in balance properly. They're not allowing me to ovulate. So then it'll go, okay, well, we need to try again next week, but we can't try with that same egg. So we have to try with a new egg. So it'll try again and the same thing will happen. And then it will try again and again and again, and it will keep doing that. And those... Discarded eggs are really what shows as the cysts on our ovaries. That's all that they are. So um, you yeah, keep the thing is is that we need to, to for you to be able to get a period. We need to allow your hormones to let your body ovulate that egg, and then the period will follow. Um, so you've really got to try and focus on that root cause of why your body is not able to ovulate. And that is why. I actually also got another question about that this week. Sorry, I can't remember your name and who that was from, but I will tag you in this as well. Our last question is from Amy. What are the chances of passing on PCOS to your baby? Um, so thing to realize about PCOS is that it's a condition of our genetics not working right with our environment. You cannot choose what genetics you pass on to your child right like I cannot choose what genes I got from my parents Um, that is what we're given that is a genetic lottery and we there's nothing that we can do to change that well actually there is it's called genetic modification um, but probably most of you are well aware of the issues around that especially selective breeding for humans but you know it's the same thing as I can't Uh, choose what color eyes I got from my parents or the genetics surrounding that or curly hair right Um, but it also doesn't determine my fate so while I have these genes that predispose me to you know putting on weight I mean I personally have some pretty terrible genes when it comes to I I pretty much have the like trifecta of genes that predispose me to uh, obesity and type 2 diabetes but Because I know this, I just know how to adapt my lifestyle and manage that um, to help me to uh, avoid those things. It's like um, the Amish actually also have a very high likely, or their genetic profile is uh, a very high likelihood for obesity and high BMI. But you actually very rarely see an Amish person who is overweight or with type 2 diabetes. And the likely reason for this is because they are doing a lot of physical labor. Um, a lot of them are out in the fields, f- physically laboring. Is that how you say it? Anyway, you guys know what I mean. And also probably eating a very a diet very low in highly processed manufactured food as well. Um, not that I am an expert on Amish community or anything like that, but this is just some general assumptions that I've read and uh, it, it makes sense. So I think the, the main thing to understand, Amy, is that you have absolutely no control over what you're going to um, pass on to your child. So we can't worry about things that we don't have any control over. What we can do is set them up with a great environment. Uh, we can also change our environment. So we work with our genetics And then the thing that I will be more concerned about when I'm pregnant is that I am just keeping my insulin as low as possible so that I reduce my risk of developing gestational diabetes and preeclampsia because those are things that us women with insulin resistance and PCOS are more at risk of. And when we know that and we know that we are likely at risk, we can then modify our diet and our lifestyle when we're pregnant to reduce that risk. Um, because we do know that babies that are exposed to high levels of insulin when they're in the womb um, are more likely to develop um, you know, metabolic complications like insulin resistance and diabetes themselves when they're an adult. So if that's the one thing I can control, then that's what I will personally be controlling. But when it comes to genetics, I can't control that, so I won't be worrying about it. So that's it for this week. Thanks again so much for tuning in and also for all of your questions. Really great questions and really appreciate your yeah your engagement and and listening and also another big shout out to our PSWS protocolers. I know that I don't give you guys nearly enough um, shout outs on the podcast but just amazing work I'm just seeing so many of you putting in um, you know the, the effort to learn and understand your body and adapt your lifestyle to suit and really making the most of this isolation COVID time so well done love your work and keep doing what you're doing so until next week have a fab one and see you soon now stand by for our disclaimer The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information, including about the PCOS Nutritionist products and services, and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat, or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice, or content contained in our podcast.